0: New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. Today, Sheba is teaching on idolatry. Turn in your Bible to Romans 1, 18 through 25 as we continue on in our series, Simple Faith. Let's listen now. Good morning. As you take a seat, why not greet somebody you don't know? Perhaps the person sitting next to you or behind you And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll have some ushers that will bring a Bible to you because we always like to open up the Word of God at New Hope. We always want to make sure that it's not just the stuff that I say, but you can actually go back to the Word and see it for yourself. So, as you walked in, you got some notes. If you didn't, the ushers can bring you some as well. But the title of my message is Idolatry, What's Beneath the Surface. Idolatry, Things Beneath the Surface. But as I was like working on the sermon, I felt like I came up with like a way better sermon title. However, I I just uh, was, it could rub people off the wrong way. So I didn't use it, but you can choose to if you want to. So instead, I was gonna entitle it Idolatry, The Real Game of Thrones. <laughs> However, I know it can be offensive to people, and I'm not saying I watch The Game of Thrones. I've never seen it. I don't really hear really good things about that, that show, but it's all about like power and pleasure, and, and I guess they're fighting for the throne or something. Don't go to Randy now and say, Hey, that girl that you had on Sunday, she watches the Game of Thrones. No, 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 please, please do not try to do that. It's just something catchy. It's something that everybody knows, and I hope that it'll stick with you throughout the week as you think of my message. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Romans chapter one. We'll be looking at verse 18 through 25. Romans chapter one, 18 through 25. It's also in your notes. So it starts off with, but God shows his anger, his, some of your translations say wrath, his anger or wrath from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So first of all, we're like, wait, hold up. God gets angry? Like people, humans get angry, but God's not supposed to get angry, is he? We all love the idea of a loving, gracious, kind, merciful, redeeming God. That's what our society wants to hear. Yes, God loves everyone, and he does. But that does not mean that he just tolerates everything. His anger is not human anger. It's not just impulsive and lashing out. But instead, it is that same type of anger that you would have against the injustices and the wickedness happening in our world right now. It's a holy indignation. It's a righteous anger. It's justified. And his anger is against those who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And how do they do that? Well, verse 19 tells us, because the only way that you can suppress truth is you first have to know it. The only way that you can suppress something is you know the right between wrong. You know good versus evil, but you choose deliberately not to do it. That's what the word suppress means. And verse 19 says, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Okay, well, how has he made it obvious? For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse. We have no excuse for not knowing God. God has made his divine reality, his existence, clear to us. Through creation, through the nature that He has created, through the world and everything in it, when I look up at the dark sky at night and the vastness of it, the millions of stars, it is the it just awe comes up within me. Why? Because it speaks of the greatness of God. Nobody ever looks at a sunset and just says, "Oh, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen." No, it doesn't matter if I'm in France or Italy or India or Japan. I want to see a sunset. I never get tired of it. It speaks to us of the wonder and majesty of God. A couple years ago, I went to Utah with my friends on a trip to Zion National Park. Amazing park, highly recommend it. Make sure you go in the right season though. And um, as we were flying into Las Vegas, we drove to Utah um, after flying in, and. I had only been used to the Georgia mountains, okay? I had only seen like the Smokies, the Appalachian Trail, that type of stuff. But flying into to to, to Utah, that was my first time out west. It was majestic. To see the mountains and the creation, I thought I had seen it all, but there's always something else that just brings this awe within us. Like, oh my gosh, Lord, you created this so that we could experience your beauty. There's so much God has created. Why? Because he wants us to partake in it. He wants us to experience his beauty. His nature reveals to us his divine attributes and characteristics about him. It speaks to us of his reality. I actually have a couple of facts here that I want to go through with you because, man, you just got to be reminded of the incredible creation that God has made. First of all, did you know that your body, you and I, and every single person sitting in here has 37.2 million cells. Oh, oh, actually, wait, hold up. Trillion cells, not million, trillion cells. I don't know where they got the to, Not sure about that, but I I did my research. I did my research, 37.2 trillion cells. And you know what? All of these cells work in harmony to carry out the basic functions necessary for survival. I don't know who needs to hear this this morning. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not an accident. God knitted you together in your mother's womb and you have a purpose, a divine purpose. God created you because he wants you to be on earth for a purpose. Did you know that gravity, what holds the planets in orbit around the sun, gravity is what's holding me down on earth this stage right here, otherwise I would be floating around, that if gravity changes by 5%, that's 0.05. Everything would be thrown out of alignment. The the sun would scorch everything, all life on earth. Like the earth is so fine-tuned for our existence. God created it because he wanted it to be inhabited by humans, by you and I. Did you know that there are 34,000 types of fish in the ocean and 13,000 species of birds? And you know what? We haven't even discovered them all yet. We continue to find new species here on, here on Earth. So all of this speaks to the reality the divine nature of God, that he exists, he is real. There is a divine designer behind this. It's not an accident. And, and the, the natural human tendency is unbelief, is just to disregard and say, oh, God doesn't exist. God's not real. It's a coincidence. It's primordial, blah, 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 whatever. But the thing is, God is the one who created all of this stuff so that we can enjoy it and we can partake in his divine nature and his attributes. When we look at everything, it speaks to us of the, the reality and the goodness of God. Amen. Amen. But what did, it, what did they do? Look at, Listen to verse 21. Yes, they knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. We in this room don't just simply have the general revelation of God through creation. We have actually experienced him in our personal lives. We've experienced Christ. How many of you guys have had prayers to answers answered. How many of you guys have had answers to prayers is what I bet. Yes, everyone in this room should have their hands up. How many of you guys have tasted and seen the goodness and the faithfulness of God in your life? Amen. But for some reason, we find an excuse. We still refuse to worship him and give him the glory and thanksgiving that he deserves. Oftentimes I go to God with a deal, God. So if you do this thing for me, if you answer my prayer, I am going to serve you with all my heart. I'm gonna like, you know, read my Bible and pray. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll give my tithes and offerings. And then God answers that prayer. And we keep our promise for a little while, but eventually we come to God with another deal because another problem comes on the scene, right? We're like, God, if you answer my prayer, I'm gonna go to church, I'll love you. I will do family devotions with my family. I will, I'll just serve you with everything. But God's like, I've given you enough evidence. Everybody in this room has had an answer to prayer. Everybody in this room has tasted and seen the faithfulness of God. And God says, what else do you need? I have given you the evidence that you're looking for. That doesn't mean you won't have hardships in your life. That doesn't mean you won't have problems, but don't get stuck on your current situation that you forget to remember the history that you have with God. Look back and give thanks and give him the glory. When the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River, God said, set up a memorial of 12 stones. Why? Because he says, I want you to remember that I was the one that brought you out of the house of slavery. I want you to remember that I'm the one that's bringing you into the promised land because there's gonna come a day that in your prosperity, you are going to forget. You are going to neglect. What does Deuteronomy chapter eight say? It says, beware in your plenty that you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commandments. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you. Remember, he is the one who gives you power to be successful. He did this all for you. And oftentimes in our, in our um, prosperity, in our success, we tend to create idols in our lives. The gifts that God give, has given us become the idols that we tend to worship in our prosperity. But when there's a need, we run to God. When there's a crisis, We go to him and we pray and we cry out to him, but in our prosperity, the things that God has blessed us with eventually turn up, turn our hearts away from him and become idols in our hearts. And that's exactly what they did, because verse 22 of Romans chapter one says, "'Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools.'" Once again, the world will offer these seemingly intellectual arguments to say God's not real. He doesn't exist, but it's actually foolishness. And no, I'm not trying to negate the science of things. Like, I believe in science, but at the same time, science and God, the existence and theism, can coexist. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people, and birds and animals and reptiles. So on one hand, they knew God, but they refused to worship him. And what did they do instead? They traded the creator for the creation. They worshiped idols, things, man-made things, they, little sculptures and figurines that, um, that, that looked like creation. Instead of worshiping the true living God, they worshiped things. And this is one of my points this morning we are all worshipers of someone or something. It's just a matter of who or what. If we refuse and reject to worship God, something else will sit on the throne of our life. Something else will dictate our behavior, our actions, um, will just take our attention away from the thing that truly matters and sit at the center of our heart. I've been to India and Cambodia many times. And every time you go there, you'll see lots of idols, lots of figurines. Idol worship is very prominent in those countries, and it's very like widely practiced. Anytime you go into a home, a restaurant, we actually sometimes see it here. Like you'll go into like an Asian restaurant, you'll see like a Buddha at the front of the store, and that's so prevalent. They have so many different types of idols in those countries and um, you'll see incense being offered to these idols. They'll place like money and food. Not sure why they place food. But it's always to receive a, a level of blessing. It's for an answer to prayer. And in India, they have so many different idols that each of them has a different attribute that you worship it for. So there's the goddess of fertility, there's the god of wealth, There is the god of prosperity and safety or security, the goddess of protection. When I was talking to my mom about this yesterday, she was like, there's also a goddess of education. So what they will do is they'll place textbooks in front of this idol, and they'll worship it in order to get good grades. I wish it was that easy. (laughs) Many times have I prayed to the Lord asking, help me on this test. God's like, I'm going to partner with your effort. I'm not going to do it all for you. And they bow down to these things. They even sacrifice things to these idols to receive a blessing, an answer to prayer. And in the West, we don't necessarily have an object that we physically bow down to. But that doesn't mean we don't have idols. Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 4 says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and have fallen into sin. They have rejected the worship, rejected having Christ at the center of their heart, and they've replaced it with something else. They've replaced the, the, the thing that sits at the center of their life with another object, with another affection. They're giving their time, attention, and money to something else, and they worship idols. They don't necessarily bow down to that object, but it dictates their life and steers the way that they're going. Listen to what Tim Keller says. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I will feel significant and secure. What is that thing in your life? What does your life revolve around? Check your behavior, your emotions. Sometimes we even set our life goals up in reflection of what our idols are. What does our happiness depend on? There are things in our lives that we may think, If I don't have that, then my life is not worth living. Check your heart. What's at the center of it? Is it Christ or is it something else? And I want to illustrate this to you this morning, okay? Because we have gotta know there's different things that are sitting at the throne of our heart. There's different things that we worship that we might not even be aware of until we dig a little deeper, until we look beneath the surface. Awesome, thank you, Jenna. So this is a throne. I know it just looks like a chair, but it's actually a throne. Use your imagination. And it says in verse 23, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people. So let's put self on the throne for a minute. Let's put Sheba on the throne of her life. What would that look like? Well, first of all, I would not be up here this morning because... Ministry is not something I ever intended to do. It was God's dream for me, not necessarily my dream for myself. Now I wanted a, I wanted a prosperous life. I wanted a, a comfortable life. I wanted a life where I didn't have to worry about anything. Like my security was built on different things, and it wasn't on the Lord. So I, I definitely wouldn't be up here. And one of the ways that we know there are idols in our lives is when we don't ask the Lord for guidance, when we don't seek his wisdom or his counsel, and instead, what do we do? Well, this makes me feel happy. I'm gonna do this instead. This satisfies me. I live my truth. God who? I am God. I call the shots for my life. We don't listen to the voice and the word of God, or we don't listen to godly counsel. We refuse to Um, spend time in his word, but instead it's just, we make decisions on a whim based on how we're feeling and what we want. And I'm not saying it's bad to pursue a career, but always ask the Lord like, Lord, is this what you want me to do? What is the desire of your heart? What are the dreams that you have for me? Because ultimately that's the thing that will bring the greatest joy and satisfaction in your life. So I'm not saying don't pursue a career, but instead, make sure you always have an ear where you're listening to the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Another way that the idol of self actually manifests in our life, and I see this is so prevalent in our culture, so I wanna talk about it, is when we put self on the throne, body image is elevated to a higher level. We focus so much on appearance. And the external, got some weights. Yes, I do use these. (laughs) I'm gonna put these weights on the throne to represent this fixation with body image, to fit in, to look pretty, focus so much on the external rather than our hearts. And we become so preoccupied in our culture. I'm telling you, just go on Instagram we become so preoccupied with fitness and diet. Those are not bad things, but they are driving our young women and our young men to depression and suicidal ideation. They're driving them to eating disorders. Why? Because it's become an obsession. Anything that's an obsession in your life is an idol. We're so much more interested in snatch waste than pure hearts. Come on. And what does God say? Your body is a temple, not an idol. You don't worship your body. I don't worship my physical self. But instead, it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Are we so much more preoccupied with what God is looking at or what man is looking at? Let's take self, body image off the throne, and let's put money on the throne. Got some hundred dollar bills here. Can't really see them, so I wanna show. So when we put money on the throne, what happens? Well, our whole life revolves around getting more stuff. Greed, greed at the expense of the advantage of other people. Who cares? if you're below me, taking advantage and, and climbing the corporate, corporate ladder for our benefit, for our success, so that we can make some more money, we can make a name for ourselves. And we don't just try to hide it. We want everybody to know about it, right? We want people to see that, look at me. I'm wealthy, I'm successful, I'm well off. Why? Because money and power are on the seat, the throne of our hearts. One of the reasons that God actually hates idolatry in the Old Testament <clears throat> is because a lot of times idols required sacrifices. People would sacrifice their children, things of value and importance to them, on the altar of their idol. Sacrificing children, you know that still happens around the world nowadays. And we might gasp and say, oh my gosh, someone would give their child for a blessing or for an answer to prayer. We do that too. We give up things at the, at the expense of our family, of church, of community. We give up the things of value because we're so fixated on our idols, on the things that we're pursuing with all of our hearts. What does your life revolve around? What are the idols in your, in your heart? And oftentimes, like, you know, We're in church and we think, I go to church, I don't have any idols, get me. Christ is at the center of my heart, but this is where you have to look at the fruit of your life. What kind of fruit are you producing? Because right now, the world values success and power and money and, and sex and pride and lust. The world values all of these things and we try to conform to that same image we produce the same type of fruit in our lives, but what, is, what does God say? He says, you are called to be different. You're called to be set apart. You are called to be a holy and spotless bride. One of the beatitudes is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And God wants to be on the throne of your life. God wants to be at the center. And when he's at the center, our life begins to produce a different kind of fruit. Our life does not conform to the, the image of this world, but it is being transformed by the renewing of our mind. When God is at the center of our life, our life will show it. We don't try to fit in, but instead we try to be, we, we, we desire to be more like God. I'm not saying be weird, Okay. Being different sometimes correlated with being weird. We don't have to be weird, but we have to be like, Lord, what pleases your heart? Are the things that I'm listening to and watching, is it pleasing to you? The things that I scroll through on social media or post on social media, is it honoring to you, Lord? Do we ask ourselves those questions? Are the thoughts and the meditations of my heart pleasing and acceptable to the Lord because that will show you, that will reveal to you where and who, who is sitting on the throne of your life, amen? Listen to what Luke chapter 16, verse 15 says. What the world honors is detestable in the sight of the Lord. That's not just, uh, God doesn't like it. It's detestable. It's abominable. It's, it's repulsive to the Lord, and he doesn't say that because he's trying to prevent us from having fun. He doesn't say that because like he doesn't want us to live a good life or he wants to control our lives. No. He says that because these are guidelines. When we function within those guidelines, we can have the greatest freedom. We can have the greatest joy. We can have the greatest satisfaction, Right? You live a long life if you pursue health, if you have those boundaries in your life. You, if you wanna be wealthy and successful, you have a budget. But for some reason, when it comes to the word of God, we don't want any rules. We don't want any structure. We just wanna do whatever we want with no boundaries, thinking that, oh, God's trying to control me. No, he's not trying to do that. He set these parameters in place so that we can actually have the greatest joy, the greatest freedom, the greatest satisfaction without any regrets. Amen? My second point is we become what we worship. Whatever sits on the throne of your life will steer you and dictate your behavior. Verse 24, listen to this. So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result they did violent degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. So there's this natural progression that's happening here. First they refused to they sorry they refused to acknowledge the reality of God. The second thing is they traded the creation for the creator. No, they traded the creator for creation. And then finally, they did vile and degrading things. So listen to what it is. It's unbelief leads to idolatry, leads to sin. Unbelief, they refuse to acknowledge him, leads to idolatry, what's on the throne of your life, leads to sin. What are you producing in your life? And the thing I want to I point out to you is sin is the symptom of idolatry. We conduct our lives in service to our idols. Like whatever sits on our throne, on the throne of our heart, will begin to direct our lives, begin to direct our actions and our feelings, our life goals and behaviors. It might be the same stuff that's like causing you to be worried and anxious and stressed out. Whatever sits on the throne of your life will steer you. It sits in the driver's seat, and it's the thing that ultimately directs your life and your behavior. And oftentimes, we get so caught up in working on the sin, not realizing that sin's actually just a symptom, sin's actually just the fruit and we get so caught up working on it and thinking, okay, I just need to modify my behavior. I just need to work on this sin. I just need to work on this like evil desire. But, it's, but what, what it says is like, no, 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 there's, something, there's a, something at the root of it. It's an idol that you've placed at the center of your heart. The gospel is not about behavior modification. It's deeper than that. It's trying to figure out who or what is the object of your worship. Who or what is the object of your worship? And how do we we uncover those things? How do we look at what's beneath the surface to expose those idols? I wanna ask you three questions. First of all, what dominates your thoughts? What dominates your thoughts? What are you constantly fixated on, worried about? What are you constantly thinking about? There's that scripture that says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That when we renew our mind, we become transformed. Whatever we consume with our minds is what we produce in our lives. What are your thoughts? What are you constantly, constantly thinking about, constantly worrying about? It might be an indicator that that object, that thing, that person, that relationship, is an idol. The second question is, what do you give most of your free time to? Is it social media, TV, video games, um, more work, pleasure, entertainment, and are you spending your free time at the expense of like doing things that bring value? At the expense of relationships at the expense of spending time with God. I don't know why it's so hard for people to spend at least an hour with God, reading the word, praying and studying. I don't understand, why is it so difficult? We make time for everything else and we say, oh, well, I'm too busy, I can't do that. No, it's just you don't treasure it. You don't value it, that's why. You do the things you want to do, ultimately. And even me, like I'll be like waking up, I'll have my morning routine, like I go downstairs, make my tea, open up my Bible, spend time in prayer, and then, you know, I pull out my phone, like I'm going to play some worship music, just worship and sing to the Lord. And I'm like, and then for somehow pulling up the worship music will lead me to Instagram or social media. And then that just starts this rabbit trail to something else. And I'm totally distracted, totally distracted when we treasure Christ above all else, when he is at the center, the throne of our lives, like we desire to spend time with him. We desire to know him. We want to. It flows out of us. And then finally, last question is, how do you spend your money, specifically your disposable income? Do we spend large amounts of money on on things that like, may not be necessary for us. And I actually wanna give you an example because talking about money can get real tricky in the church, okay? Are there things that we are doing that are taking, give, are, um, are taking us into debt and limiting our financial freedom? I wanna give you an example, okay? This is gonna sound really vain of me to share this example. So, in the past, I will preface it in the past, I had the idol of materialism on the throne of my heart. And the way that it manifested itself was through shopping. (laughs) Yes, I said that, shopping. And I would spend hours, hours like in the store, online shopping, scouring through racks, looking for like the next best thing, more things to purchase, more things to buy, and it wasn't just clothing, it was also other random items, decor. I just wanted more stuff. And not even just that, like I'd spend hours like scrolling through Instagram, like I was giving up my time scrolling through Instagram, like following these social media influencers like, ooh, what's, what's, what's the next trendy thing? What's the next thing I should get? Ooh, how did they put these pieces together? That's amazing. And shopping is not bad, right? I'm sure there's some men that would disagree with that. Shopping's not bad, but the thing is, it consumed so much of my time. It consumed so much of my money, more than I had budgeted. And the other thing is, anytime I would feel sad, retail therapy came to the rescue. Okay? It was something that my happiness was dependent on. If I was sad, hey, just go go grab something, go buy yourself a new dress to make yourself happy. It wasn't a bad thing, but it came, it, it, idols are usually good things that become the ultimate thing in our lives. And I just spent too much time, too much money on materialism, on shopping, and I had to realize, because like eventually it just made me feel terrible, Eventually, I just felt miserable. Eventually, I realized that I would find an excuse to go shopping and an excuse not to spend time with the Lord, an excuse not to spend time with my family, an excuse not to do the things that bring value to my life. And I realized, hmm, perhaps this is an idol. And thankfully, the Lord has dealt me with that and it's, it's not that way anymore. That doesn't mean I don't like fashion and I don't like to put things together, but it just doesn't preoccupy my mind anymore. I don't give it that time, that space that it used to have in my life. So how do you dethrone idols? How do you dethrone idols? This is my last and final point. Idols cannot be removed. They must be replaced. If I take this money off this throne, the throne of your heart, it's not going to stay vacant and empty. Something else will find its place to the center, okay? So the way that you remove idols is you you replace them. You put Christ back on the throne of your heart. And when Christ is on the throne of your heart, he, cha- he changes you from the inside out. He produces new desires in you. You'll be amazed at the things that you once craved. You no longer do. the addictions that you once struggled with, they don't have that same type of stronghold in your life. When Christ is the center, your life starts producing a new type of fruit. Oftentimes, we want to work on the fruit. But listen to what John 15:5 says. It says, "I am the vine, you are the branches." Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Nobody works on the fruit. If I want to produce good apples, I have to make sure that the tree is given the right nutrients that the tree receives the essential things. Oftentimes we try to work on behavior modification, on the sins in our lives and try to get rid of them. But in actuality, there's something deeper than that. Give yourself the right nutrients, give yourself the essentials, abide in Christ, spend time with him, pray fast, read the word of God, let it saturate your life. And once you start doing that, your desires start to change. Once you start doing that, your your the fruit that you produce will look different in your life. It's not behavior modification. It is who or what is the object of your worship. Amen. So some of you, you might be struggling with certain things in your life. Try to, re- try to go back and peel back the layers of what is this really about? How do I get to the root of this issue? I want to close with this final illustration so I have $200 bills here one of them is fake one of them is real who wants the fake thing (laughs) oh there's a kid back there because you know kids don't know the value of money do they (laughs) and then I have the real thing who wants this yeah okay it should be everybody every hand in this room I know y'all are being shy. Um, But if I, they look the same. I didn't print this, this is play money. Um, They look the same, but only one of them has value. One of them. And if I light this one on fire, (laughs) fire emergency happening, no. Who cares? Eh, it's just a piece of paper. Doesn't matter. Randy's back there getting nervous. Oh no, get it, Jenna to the rescue. <laughs> but now what if I light this one on fire? See, you guys like saw some wide eyes. No, 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 why? Cause this has value. I can do a lot with this. We're going out to eat for Michaela's birthday. I could buy dinner or lunch for everyone. This thing has value. Those, it might look the same, but one has more value than the other based on who gave it value. And the thing is in Romans chapter one, it says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. They exchanged the thing of value, the thing of importance, the glory, the majesty, the wonder of God for a cheap figurine for something that is cheap, that will only fill a temporary need, that will only provide instant gratification, that will only maybe give you a temporary satisfaction. They traded the creator for the creation. They traded the lie for truth. They loved darkness more than light. Why? Because the thing that is fake seems so valuable in our life. It meets a need. It gives us the satisfaction that we're looking for, the happiness that we want. But in actuality, it's worthless, it's trash, it's garbage. In the end, what the enemy tries to do is he will highlight the benefit of the thing that's fake. He will highlight the benefit, but hide the expense. He'll highlight the benefit and hide the expense. Listen to to what Paul says. I just love this verse so much because Paul gets it. And I want us to get it as well. Philippians chapter three, verse eight. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite, the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Counting it all as garbage. It's all just material stuff. It'll all fade. It'll all pass away. But we, we put our stakes in it. We're obsessed with these things. We idolize these things. But in the end, the thing of true value is the thing that will remain. In the end, it's us being with Christ that is of the most importance. And we get so preoccupied with the stuff, the garbage, the idols. And we forget to treasure and value Christ above all else. So I wanna ask you this morning, what are those things like that you're trading the glory of God for something cheap? What are those things in your life that you're exchanging at the expense of the thing that's valuable, that is worthy, that is good, that is holy? Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. What do you treasure? Is it just the cheap things? Or are you able to recognize the value and the wonder and the beauty of serving Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? Because ultimately, that is the thing. He is the one that will bring the satisfaction, the joy, the peace. He is the one that will fill the void in our life. He's the one that is worthy of praise and worship. And at this time, we're actually gonna go into communion. I want you to think about that, though. Because 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Take a moment to examine yourself. Just close your eyes. Ask the Lord to unearth any idols in your life. What's sitting on the throne of your heart? And just take a moment to surrender. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for not seeing your value. Forgive us, Lord, for when we proclaim with our mouths, yes, that we follow Jesus, we love him. But in reality, does our life show that we treasure him? And I just pray, Spirit of God, Lord, that this is a moment of just conviction and also a moment of freedom you want to remove those things from our lives. You want to remove those obsessions, those idols that are sitting at the center of our heart, at the throne of our lives. And you want us to place you back in your rightful position. God, ultimately, why? It's not because you're selfish. No. It's because, yes, you want the glory, but also this is the best thing that we can do for ourselves. This is the thing that brings you honor, but also it's the thing that brings us the greatest joy, the greatest satisfaction. And I just pray if there's anyone in here that's trading the thing of value for something cheap, that you would help them to get to a place that they recognize your value above everything else, Lord.